Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. The 2021 Professional Football Researchers Association Convention will be held at the Gold Jacket Lounge at the Pro Football Hall of Fame during the final weekend of June. Convention speakers will celebrate the 100th anniversary of the founding of the NFL. The fee for the convention is $50 for members and $100 for non-members. The fee includes admission to the convention and Pro Football Hall of Fame, meals on Friday evening and Saturday afternoon, and free parking. All convention activities are subject to COVID-19 protocols. For more details, Click on the 2021 PFRA convention link at profootballresearchers.org. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. It's time for Lombardi Memory, a show that takes you back in time, into January or February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all of sports. This is the Three Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For a fan who needs more than a box score, this podcast goes drive-by-drive, play-by-play, through the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips. You can visit my website at TommyAPhillips.com where you can find all of my books. Today we have Super Bowl XIV, which was held on January 20th, 1980, in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, between the three-time and defending Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers and the first-time NFC champion, Los Angeles Rams. As always, we have a pop quiz and then homework at the end of the episode. The pop quiz question for today is, well, the Rams, they made it to the Super Bowl with seven regular season losses. What two other teams have reached the Super Bowl with seven losses? The answer will come at the end of the podcast. The defending Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers were rather vulnerable in 1979. They only barely won their season opener at New England in overtime, and they suffered two losses in a three-game span in midseason. They got killed 35-7 by the Chargers, and they lost an emotional game late in the season to Houston. Having said all that, they still finished 12 and 4 and won the AFC Central. The Steelers won an easy divisional round game over Miami, 34 to 14. In the AFC Championship game against Houston, 
The Steelers held a tentative lead when the Oilers seemingly completed a touchdown pass that got overruled by the officials. Some say it cost Houston the game. I say it didn't. Pittsburgh won by two touchdowns anyway, 27-13, and advanced to its fourth Super Bowl. Pittsburgh was led by quarterback Terry Bradshaw, who had a monster year with 3,724 yards and 26 touchdowns. He also threw 25 interceptions, making his passer rating only 77.0. But boy, did he light it up in the air. Receiver John Stallworth caught 70 passes for 1,183 yards and 8 touchdowns, leading the team in all those categories. But um, there's also a couple other good receivers. Lynn Swan, he had 41 catches for just over 800 yards and 5 scores. And then you had tight end Benny Cunningham, and he caught 36 passes, got just over 500 yards and 4 touchdowns. Running back Franco Harris ran, led the running game with 1,186 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns uh, total, one of them receiving, 11 of them rushing. The LA Rams were not the type of team you'd expect to see in the Super Bowl. They were 4-5 and five in midseason and 5-6 and six after week 11. But they won four games in a row to take the NFC West crown, and they made it into the playoffs as the lowest-ranked NFC ch division champion. They then narrowly defeated the number one-seeded Dallas Cowboys 21-19 in the divisional round to advance to the NFC Championship game at Tampa Bay. What was it about the Rams and Buccaneers playing low-scoring NFC Championship games? They'd have a similar low-scoring affair 20 years later. It would end up 11-6. to As for now, the Rams beat the Bucs 9-0 to advance to their first Super Bowl. Quarterback Vince Ferragamo took over for Pat Hayden at midseason, and his numbers were not that great. 48.2 completion percentage, just 5 touchdowns to 10 interceptions, and a 49.0 passer rating. But the Rams succeeded thanks to their running game. Wendell Tyler had over 1, 000, uh, 1,100 yards rushing, and their defense. The Youngbloods, Jack and Jim Youngblood, were a force to fear on defense the Rams had great defensive backs such as Nolan Cromwell and Dave Elmendorf. The Rams could keep any game close because of their strong defense. To start off the game, the Rams won the coin toss and chose to receive. They went three and out, and they punted it back to Pittsburgh. Steelers got their offense going with a run by running back Rocky By right up the middle for a first down at the 32. He came close to getting another first down, and then Franco Harris picked it up from there. Bradshaw then threw over the middle for Franco, and he picked up 32 yards down to the LA 26. That set up a 41-yard field goal by kicker Matt Barr, who barely got it over the crossbar for a 3-0 Pittsburgh lead. The Steelers then tried a surprise onside kick, but it failed, and LA got great field position. 
Tyler started the Rams' ensuing drive with a 6-yard catch and a 39-yard run down to the 13. Running back Lawrence McCutcheon ran it three times to get a first down at the 3. After Tyler was stopped twice right at the goal line, running back Cohen Bryant punched it in on third down and the Rams took a 7-3 lead. For the Steelers, their defensive back Larry Anderson, and he's, he was their kickoff return specialist, and he took back the kickoff 45 yards. So Harris ran for a first down. Blyer ran for a, another first down after a couple of runs. Brassaw then threw this Lynn Swan for a first down at the 18, and then he hit Cunningham down at the 5 for another first down. Three plays later, Harris got in from the one-yard line, standing up, and Pittsburgh took a 10-7 lead early in the second quarter. Rams weren't about to be pushed around, though. Tyler ran for a first down and caught a pass for a first down. Paragamo then went to McCutcheon for another first down. A long pass fell incomplete, but Pittsburgh defensive back Donnie Sell got called for pass interference down the sideline. That set up kicker Frank. <laughs> that, that set up kicker Frank Corral for a 31-yard field goal, and that tied the game at 10. Anderson ripped off another great return, this time 38 yards, but the Steelers' offense went three and out and the punt went for a touchback. Ferragamo completed a third-down pass to Terry Nelson, but the Rams were forced to punt. On this Steelers possession, Elmendorf made an interception of a Bradshaw pass, so that set up the Rams with a chance to score. Ferragamo completed a 12-yard pass to Colin Bryant, and then he found receiver Billy Waddy on a fourth down play to get a first down. He hit Nelson down at the 14 for a first down, but then Pittsburgh defensive tackle John Banajak sacked Ferragamo to end the drive. So Corral came on to try a 45-yard field goal, and he made it to put L.A. up 13-10 at the half. Starting out the second half, Anderson got yet another great kickoff return, this one 37 yards. The Steelers then sandwiched two Bradshaw passes to Swan around three runs, two of those by Harris. The second of those passes was a 47-yard touchdown on which Bradshaw found Swan on a deep ball. Matt Barr made the extra point, and Pittsburgh went up 17-13. The Rams started their next drive at 24. Ferragamo passed to Bryant for a short game before facing third and long. He then threw a deep ball to Waddy, who hauled it in for a 50-yard gain all the way to the Pittsburgh 24. Next, head coach Ray Malvesi called for a trick play. McCutcheon took a handoff to his right, and then he passed downfield for receiver Ron Smith. Touchdown, and Corral missed the extra point wide to the left, actually, and um, but Los Angeles still led the game 19-17. to 
The next two drives for Pittsburgh ended in picks. First, Bradshaw almost had one return for a pick six by defensive back Nolan Cromwell, but he couldn't hang on to it and it fell incomplete. But only three plays later, Eddie Brown picked one off and lateraled it to Pat Thomas, reaching the 38. Now the Rams punted, and Pittsburgh moved the ball back downfield with a 20-yard pass to Franco Harris and a 22-yard pass to running back Sidney Thornton. But Bradshaw had a pass tipped and intercepted by defensive back Rod Perry, and Los Angeles took their two-point lead into the fourth quarter. Now remember, the Steelers were 10-point favorites for this game, and they're trailing by two entering the fourth quarter. So you got to be feeling pretty good if you pick the Rams plus 10 here, and maybe the Rams are about to pull off the upset. On the next drive by the Rams, Steelers defensive tackle Steve Furness and linebacker Lauren Taze combined on a sack of Ferragamo that forced a punt. Punter Ken Clark got away a 58-yard kick, and the Steelers got the ball back at their own 25. With Swan on the bench with an injury, Bradshaw faced a perilous moment. Third and eight, down by two points. On the fateful play, he threw a bomb. John Stallworth got underneath the pass and made an amazing catch, then sprinted 73 yards for a touchdown. Barr's extra point was good, and the Steelers led by five, 24-19. That was the sixth lead chains of the game, and it would also be the last one. The Rams went three and out, and so did the Steelers, so Los Angeles got the ball back with about five or six minutes, chance to get a winning touchdown. Bergamo found receiver Preston Denard for a first down, then he hit him again at midfield. Waddy holding a pass for 14 yards, and the Rams had the ball at the Pittsburgh 32. This was their chance to take the lead, but the defensive play of the game was then made by Steelers linebacker Jack Lambert. He got in the way of the pass, picked it off down the middle, and returned it to the 29. And you never know, if he doesn't step in front of that pass, maybe the Rams score there or score later and take the lead. But in any case, it's Pittsburgh ball with four minutes to play. So facing third down again on their new series, Bradshaw threw up another rainbow to Stallworth, and once again he made an over-the-shoulder catch, this time for 44 yards to the LA 23. Bradshaw went to the end zone two plays later, and the Steelers drew a pass interference flag on defensive back Pat Thomas. After the two-minute warning, Harris pounded it in for the touchdown, and Pittsburgh went up by 12. Victory was all but a sword for the Steelers now. The Rams got as far as the Pittsburgh 30 on their final drive, but they turned the ball over on downs, and it was all over. The Pittsburgh Steelers have won Super Bowl 14, 31-19, and head coach Chuck Knoll was now a four-time Super Bowl champion. Terry Bradshaw was named Super Bowl MVP for a second consecutive year. Only Bart Starr of the Green Bay Packers has ever been named Super Bowl MVP 
in back-to-back -back seasons. So those two are the only two back-to-back -back MVPs. Though I wouldn't give this MVP to Bradshaw if I had the choice. Pat Summerall said it during the broadcast. John Stallworth deserved MVP. Bradshaw threw three interceptions, and those are a big reason why Pittsburgh fell behind. Stallworth came up with two monster catches that totaled over 100 yards themselves. He ended up with three catches for 121 yards and a touchdown. His two fourth-quarter catches decided the game by all by themselves, and they were amazing, beautiful catches. There's no other way around it. Stallworth deserved MVP. Bradshaw deserved a lot of credit, but Stallworth got him that MVP. Would be the most valuable player in the losing team. I'd have to go with running back Wendell Tyler. He rushed for 60 yards on 17 carries, and he caught three passes for 20 yards. Those aren't amazing numbers, but they are the best of anyone on the LA offense. The Rams' defense played a role in keeping the game so close. However, there wasn't one defensive player who stood out as the most valuable. I'm still going with Tyler because he played a vital role in helping the LA offense hold that lead after each of the first three quarters. The least valuable player? Well, this is a hard one to give out. There's really no one who is the least valuable player, but I'd have to go, if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to have to pick Rams defensive back Pat Thomas. He got called for a pass interference flag on the Steelers' final possession that set up Harris's one-yard touchdown run. If he doesn't get called for that uh, flag, the Rams probably lose the game anyway, but you know, it, it, it did lead to giving up seven points, and the Rams might have had a technical chance if he wouldn't have committed that penalty. Of course, it was a disputed penalty to uh, Tom Brooks here on the broadcast. Uh, didn't like the penalty, uh, but, you know, there's not really anyone who is least valuable player in this game. Both teams played hard and played well. Thomas just made a bad mistake at a crucial time. The best player you've never heard of. Well, here's the thing. Like I said uh, last episode, you, you, you know pretty much every player on every team when it comes to the Steelers and the Cowboys. So um, it's hard to come away with one, but I'm going to have to go with Larry Anderson, who is the kickoff returner for the Steelers. He's not known as well. He returned five kickoffs for 162 yards and a 32.4 average. All of those numbers, Super Bowl records. His performance was the greatest performer. Or, <laughs> that was the greatest performance by a kick returner in Super Bowl history up to this point in time. And probably still the greatest by a returner who didn't score a touchdown. I even thought of naming him MVP over Stallworth because he put the Steelers in such good field position on several occasions. The biggest play of the game was Stallworth's 73-yard touchdown reception. It came on a third and long with Pittsburgh losing by two. If Stallworth doesn't make that catch, maybe the Rams win. The Steelers would have had the punt, 
and who knows what happens from there. But, I, I mean, I do think the Steelers would have pulled it out immensely. They were the better team. But Stalwart's catch and Bradshaw's throw completely turned the game on its head. And, oh, by the way, uh, the Steelers covered the spread. <laughs> the best play that goes overlooked has to has to be Jack Lambert's interception in the fourth quarter. No, it's not a play that no one remembers, because most people probably do remember that pick. However, it gets overshadowed by Stalwart's amazing catches, Bradshaw's prolific passes, and Harris's hard runs. Lambert's pick essentially sealed the game for Pittsburgh, and that's why he's a Hall of Famer. The Rams gave it all they had and came up short. They were a Cinderella story, having lost seven games during the regular season, but made it, making it to the Super Bowl. Who are the other two teams to reach the Super Bowl with seven losses? The answer to this week's pop quiz question is the 2008 Arizona Cardinals and the 2011 New York Giants. The Cards lost Super Bowl 43 to the Steelers. And the Giants won Super Bowl 46 over the New England Patriots. Interesting that two of Pittsburgh's six Super Bowl victories came over two of the worst teams to ever reach the Super Bowl. Finally, we've got some homework here. And this one is simple. It's a book called Steel Dynasty, The Team That Changed the NFL by Bill Chasten. This book covers the whole Steelers dynasty, but in particular, it's got some pretty good stuff on the 1979 Steelers and Super Bowl XIV. It also includes an epilogue on the fall of the dynasty, which is helpful as we move on to the 80s, a decade in which Pittsburgh made just one AFC championship game and zero Super Bowl. I would also like to inform you of a new podcast that has been released. It is called With the Benefit of Hindsight by professional documentary maker John Ziegler. This podcast is all about the so-called Penn State scandal, and it will hit you like a bucket of cold water. You'll have your eyes open to the truth about that situation, and you'll find that what really happened is quite different from what you learn while watching the news. Again, that's with the benefit of hindsight, and you can find it on Apple Podcasts and other podcast places. In two weeks, we will tackle the first Super Bowl of the 80s, Super Bowl 15, between the good guys, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the bad guys, the Oakland Raiders. Will NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle have to award the Lombardi Trophy to Raiders owner Al Davis? Those guys hated each other, but you'll get to find out then. Until then, this is Tommy A. Phillips. My website with my books is TommyAPhillips.com. Until then, so long.
Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.